welcome inside the Celtics Lab podcast. We are coming to you in the depths of the doldrums when there's little going on around the NBA and the Boston Celtics more generally to talk about besides various community improvement and engagement projects by the Celtics in their offseason who are not currently participating in Team USA action in the FIBA World Cup. Things have not gone optimally when discussing Team USA play and, more importantly, Team Shamrock participation, starting with today's near loss to the Turkish national team, saved only by some incredible luck at the free throw line, or bad luck for Turkey, I should say, as well as Jason Tatum sacrificing himself to make the pass that got the winning bucket. Now, it's looking like he will escape any kind of serious injury and may even be able to return to play in World Cup action. But we are already seeing some of the downsides of participation. And to be completely honest, some of the bad signs from last season's play with the Celtics on Team USA. We're seeing a lack of energy and motion off the ball, uh, people settling for shots early in the shot clock, and a lot of talent, more than many of the teams they have already faced, not being enough to really separate them until panic mode sets in. In a one-and-done level of the tournament, which is coming after group play when the United States finishes its competition against Japan later this week, that situation is creating a very risky return for Team USA uh, in terms of how it is going to be perceived and how it is going to achieve. It will potentially be at risk of becoming one of the first teams in a very long time to not medal, uh, going all the way back to, I believe, the... 2006 team, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to check on that just to be certain. At any rate, the long dominance of the United States in international play is under the microscope, and justifiably so. A large number, as many of you know, players who were originally invited and or interested had backed out, uh, cementing Team Shamrock. But with Team Shamrock, as we call the four players who uh, play for the Boston Celtics, uh, during the regular NBA season, comes a bit of a weight on their shoulders because, you know, the narrative is supposed to be them all coming together and finding some chemistry that was missing last season, uh, presumably because of Kyrie Irving, but not necessarily so based on what we're seeing and, you know, what we've heard from their own mouths. So there are some serious concerns with this uh, U.S. team's roster and how they've been playing. But with all of this shakiness surrounding the team, you know, they dropped a, a exhibition game to Australia, the first loss for Team USA in 13 years. There's a really legitimate reason to ask if we should want all of the Celtics playing in this. For now, things are going good. Do we think they're going to continue going good? I mean, they have not played the toughest of the tough they'll likely face if they continue to advance. Turkey is better than a lot of people give them credit for with multiple current or former NBA players on the roster. But there are several others uh, with either deep 
NBA rosters, or in the case of Greece, a player uh, who will easily be the best player on the floor compared to Team USA or really any other team out there. So we have to deal with the fact that we're looking at a situation where bad play, whether it's Boston's fault or not, may end up weighing on their shoulders uh, disproportionately because of how many Boston players are on the team, even though really only Tatum and Walker are getting significant minutes so far. And on top of that, if the chemistry doesn't manifest and Tatum had gotten significantly injured or someone else does, then there are some real downsides, very tangible downsides to playing on Team USA with all four Celtics players. Now, on the flip side of that, you know, before all the actual play started, there was this narrative of a Team USA performance bumper breakout. And in this case, we thought we would do the lab on exactly what we can expect for Boston Celtics players who do participate by looking at how some of the other players who have participated in Team USA have managed in their time afterwards. So what we're looking at here is whether or not there is some kind of breakout performance or even just performance bumps that are recognizable and consistent among players who did participate. Some of the things that we needed to consider when organizing this data, uh, Topher Lane, uh, our, my, my, my co-host, uh, he came up with this uh, idea itself. We took a deep dive into the data and we discovered there is something there. Now, of course, this also deals with how we subjectively define a bump or a breakout in performance. And for me, then that's just something that looks bigger than you know, for counting stats, something around the, the, the relative range of 10% when it comes to counting stats. And really just whatever, whatever seems more than normal development based on the individual context of a player. And of course, that individual context doesn't just take into account the fact that, you know, many of these Team USA players are on the younger side of their career, if not the very young side of their career. Uh, but many of them also come back to a different team than the team they were on, even if they still play for the same franchise. Sometimes there's lots of turnover. Sometimes sometimes they get traded to a new team, sometimes midseason. All of these things, they can affect things. So when we, we looked at the data, we wanted to take into account, are there teams that were very bad that some of these players went, went to after a season that they were very stacked at the position they play, for example, just to see if there is some kind of effect that can explain these jumps in production that we found. There were a few, but we wanted to identify as much context as we could. And so it took a little bit of time, thus the, the pause, you know, even though, you know, Celtics Lab is going to have a, a different schedule and that is issue-based, particularly in the off-season rather than calendar-based, we do still want to try to keep at least one a month going, and we're, we're going on about six weeks now. During the regular season, you can expect shorter, briefer dives into topics we find interesting. We hope that you find interesting too, uh, but for now, we decided to really dive into this and see what we could find. Without, without any further ado, let's take a look at the lab.
So when we took a look at this data, we took a look all the way back to from the 2014 World Cup teams all the way back to the 2006 World Cup team, uh, disqualifying players who had already broken out significantly previously uh, or had been participating in another international Team USA event, mostly the Olympics, but uh, I think in at least a few cases we had some who were coming out of other previous uh, iterations of Team USA. We did this just so we would get a broader cross-section uh, well within the context of a more modern version of the game. If you go back far enough, then eventually you're going to see that the players are older, uh, there's fewer young players, the star power was the primary thing, so they were picking people who were really at the height of their game uh, to represent the United States. And while they were the best of the best, uh, players who are already at the peak of their prime years are not very likely to grow very much. So we didn't go back further than 2006, but we did take a, a nice deep dive with the 2006 Team USA with the debut breakout performance of a one Carmelo Anthony, uh, then playing for Denver, 22 years old. To be completely honest, even though the poor man cannot get onto a roster, whether we're talking Team USA or NBA at the moment, he did have a noteworthy bump. He was already scoring the season before 26.5 points per game and 4.9 rebounds per game, uh, along with 2.7 assists per game. But then in 2006-2007, the season after his Team USA participation, we saw those numbers jump uh, by nearly two points to 28.9 points per game, by more than a rebound to six points per game, more than an assist by 3.8 assists per game, garnering him his first All-Star game. So while not you know, a huge jump, you need to keep in mind that when we have players who are already producing such significant numbers very early in their NBA careers, just taking small steps forward to increase an already very large uh, stat line, it takes a lot of skill. So I do think that this is one of the, you know, not incredibly impressive, but still noteworthy examples of how players can grow. Uh, you notice, too, that not just basic counting stats like points and rebounds and assists are, are going to be part of what we talk about, but we did notice that there were other patterns. And, you know, assists are, assists are kind of important to learning how to play smarter. When you get stuck, when you get doubled, when you get trapped, uh, then you need to pass the ball. And if you can pass it to someone who's open, that's a lot better than just passing it to the random person who is not currently stuck. Even, even just a boost in the assist is helpful, but it's also important to remember that there are other ways that players can have, you know, boost to the game, if not breakout. So in this case, I think Carmelo Anthony, we saw a boost to his game, much less than a breakout. Um, Joe Johnson was the other beneficiary uh, of the 2006 participation in that he was scoring 20 points per game, 20.2, with 3.5 assists and four free throw attempts per game. But the season after his Team USA participation, that jumped to 25 points per game, 6.5 assists per, per game, and 5.5 free throws, uh, free throw attempts per game, making him the only real breakout of this particular team. Now, Chris Bosh, Dwight Howard, and Chris Paul all got a little bit better. 
But at least in the case of Chris Paul, he was already doing you know pretty well. He did develop um, a functional three pointer, uh, which is something that you know you know being around people who know how to teach in a hurry, it might be you know attributable to that with small boosts in his points per game and assists per game. We also saw Dwight Howard bump up his scoring from 15.8 points per game to 17.8 points per game, as well as improving his effective field goal percentage from uh, 0.531 to 0.603. Chris Bosh, um, he already broke out the season before, but he did develop a three-pointer the season after, which, you know, might have been influenced by his participation with Team USA. It's really impossible to say, but the rest of the participants, like Shane Battier, uh, Elton Brand, Kirk, Henrik, they had, you know, roughly the same numbers or even a little bit of decline. But they were also older, 26, 27, 28 years old, similar to Anton J- Jameson, who got a little bit worse, and Brad Miller as well. He was a 30-year-old center for the Sacramento Kings at the time, and he got a little worse at everything as well. I did not include LeBron James or Dwayne Wade uh, in these calculations just because of the fact that they had, again, already broken out and had participated in the Olympics previously. You go to the next iteration of Team USA in 2010. It was a very similar situation to what we're looking at now where just about everyone who had participated before left the team. Actually, I think just about everyone, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, bringing on what then was looked at as the C team, not even the B team. These were just the people they could scrape up. Uh, Chauncey Billups, Tyson Chandler, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. You know, people knew he was going to be big, uh, but he had already broken out. Rudy Gay had been doing things. Eric Gordon, you know, he was he was interesting, but he hadn't really done anything. Danny Granger was really, you know, probably one of the bigger names on this team at the time. Um, and he was about to fall off a cliff at age 27 with Indiana. Uh, Andre Iguodala was just starting to really come into his own. Kevin Love was starting to become uh, an interesting player before this. Lamar Odom, uh, he was pretty old at the time, 31 years old when he participated, and Derrick Rose was just coming on. So there weren't too many names that were really established names in this league, really just uh, Chauncey Billups, Tyson Chandler, Andre Iguodala, and Omar Odom. The interesting thing, and really the most fascinating thing, was that in 2010, we saw much more significant growth after participation, and not just among the young players. You would think that if... The factor of being on the younger side of your career, taking a major role in pushing that development up, well, this season really has a strong case against that because Tyson Chandler, for example, he was 28 years old after participation and he did have a second, this was his second breakout. He had an earlier breakout. So this could be team related as he changed from Charlotte uh, to Dallas. But Charlotte was a bad team at the time, I mean, and really since. And Dallas won the championship that year. So if anything, it may even kind of add to his argument because that was a team where he should have been playing, you know, maybe even slightly less minutes. Uh, Though I suppose you can make the argument he was also playing on a team with much better players. Something to keep in mind for those of us with Kemba Walker coming to the Boston Celtics after play with Team USA. And admittedly looking very good. Now, 
To be completely honest, the jump with Tyson Chandler's career uh, was not super pronounced, but he did go from 6.5 points per game to 10.1 and 6.3 rebounds per game to 9.4 between 2009-10 and 2010-11, while also seeing his two-point percentage go from 0.574 to 0.654. So not a small breakout, but he was far from the only one. We saw things like Derrick Rose going from 20.8 points per game to 25 points per game, uh, jumping his assists per game by 1.7 and his free throw attempts by 1.6 while developing a functional three-pointer going from 2.267 from deep to 0.332. We saw something similar with Russell Westbrook jumping from 16.1 points per game to 21.9, 0.438, two-point percentage to 0. 0.451, 0. 0.221 three-point percentage previously to 0. 0.330 after, and 5.5 free throw attempts a game all the way up to 7.1, getting him his first all-star game. Lamar Odom, 31 years old, jumped from 10.8 points per game to 14.4, had a 0. 0.510 two-point percentage that jumped to well, two, uh, 0.562 points per game, and his three-pointer, you know, I mean, he didn't lean on it heavily, but it jumped from 0.319 to 0.382 in just one season. That's a lot, particularly for back then and particularly for him. Uh, Kevin Love, he didn't really have a star breakout, but he became a serious player, jumping from 14.8 to 20.2 points per game and 11 rebounds per game to 15.2 while seeing his three-pointer jump massively from 330 to 0.417. Now, Andre Iguodala, a little older as well, uh, his points jumped from 12.3 per game to 18.2 on the same team with Philadelphia, uh, while seeing his assists nearly double from 3.1 to 5.7. Eric Gordon, 16.9 points per game, jumping to 22 points per game, while adding 1.3 assists per game and almost two free throw attempts per game. So you can see that the jumps from 2010 were not just with young players, and they were not mainly from players changing teams, or really there's there's very few other explanations that would give us an understanding as to why all of these players saw a jump. Even Steph Curry saw a small jump in his two-point percentage, jumping from 0.474 to 0.498, and Rudy Gay, uh, saw his three-pointer jump significantly from 0.327 to 0.396 while adding almost an assist per game. So there were definitely some things to take away from, from participation, particularly when a lot of younger players and players who had never played in the international game came together to replace a bunch of veteran international players from the NBA into Team USA in a situation strongly resembling what we're looking at now. continue on to 2014, the effect is still there even though it's diminished. Most of the players who have participated either had played previously in terms of Rose, Curry, and Rudy Gay. You know, DeMar DeRozan, Andre Drummond, Kenneth Fareed, Kyrie Irving, they didn't necessarily have particularly noteworthy jumps in their game after participating in 2014. But we did see DeMarcus Cousins go from 22.7 points to 24.1 points per game, 
I add a rebound per game and went from 1.3 blocks per game to 1.7 blocks per game, while also experimenting with a three that would later really add to his game in a way that led to him being viewed as such a deadly player before the series of injuries and other issues currently that he is dealing with with an arrest warrant for a domestic violence situation. He, he the three pointer that he added, it really it really established him as not just a starting player, but a star player. Uh, Anthony Davis, I think we all know he he probably would have continued uh, becoming an amazing player because even in 2013-14, he was already scoring 20.8 points per game. But he added nearly four points per game and an assist per game to his game the season after. Uh, Clay Thompson is another one of the players who experienced something in between what I would call a boost and a bump, going from 18.4 points per game uh, to 21.7 points per game, while his three went from an already you know sizzling 0.417 uh, percent for his three-point shot to 0.439, which is you know for a season-long total that is ridiculous. Now, all of those players, sure, you can make the case that because they are young, that maybe, maybe the bump would have been there anyway. But that doesn't explain 2010, and it doesn't necessarily explain the fact that we are continuously seeing these things, whether the players are young or old, and at least in the case of 2010, you can see that even though there isn't necessarily a, a major boost to, to be considered oftentimes, uh, there is a good amount of hope. Uh, if you notice that a lot of the things I've been mentioning for growth, shooting percentages, uh, whether two-point or three-point assists per game, free-throw attempts, these jumps that we're seeing, they are things that you can learn in a hurry. And veteran players tend to know, particularly successful veteran players, much more than middling to younger players in terms of their career. So there is a solid case to be made that we can see a boost, a tangible benefit in the games of people who never participated with Team USA before, who then did so for the first time. You know, to paraphrase Kevin Durant, Team USA, it's an incubator. It it requires people to learn to play with people who, you know, maybe would have been outside of the comfort zone to link up with by changing teams in the NBA had they had that ability, or maybe come from a very different coaching tradition and or playing style. All of these things, they come together in a way that you can really get a tangible benefit from. Uh, Something that makes injuries to Jason Tatum, for example, uh, palatable, though not very much so, obviously. If we were looking at something much more serious, clearly, clearly, there would be a much more intense debate going on in NBA media. But, you know, Coach Brad Stevens, he supports Tatum even after the injury. Uh, We received news today, uh, and he agrees as well as, as all of us NBA, as much as all of us NBA pundits and analysts try to get other people, listeners and readers on board with, that it is worth participating, but it is not without risk. Now, that risk, of course, you know, we think of Paul George and his fantastic injury, and then we think immediately, of course, of people like Gordon Hayward and want to say, oh, God, let's not do that. But hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of plays every week 
whether we are talking live game action in the regular season or playoffs, whether we are talking international play, or whether we are talking play, uh, whether we are talking practice and scrimmages and games that just don't count, summer league, you name it. There is a certain degree of importance to protecting certain players, particularly if they're injury prone. But for the most part, we've got some pretty stable people who are playing for Team USA from Boston. And between what the team went through last season and the opportunity to do something you know, meaningful uh, in terms of basketball uh, that could you know, really increase their familiarity, collegiality, and knowledge, it seems that it is going to be an overall good situation. It remains to be seen whether or not we're going to see tangible benefits in the form of wins, but besides the team players for Team Shamrock uh, that are made up of Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and of course Kemba Walker, there are some other players on this roster, I think, that we may see some breakout performances from. We have seen a bit of Chris Middleton struggling. He only seems to do well when he's facing Boston for some reason. In this case... He does have the opportunity to face off against two other players who are playing for the Celtics, uh, that being Vincent Poirier, uh, whose name I probably just murdered, Poirier, maybe a little better, apologies in advance, I will get it down by the end of the season, I promise, and Daniel Tice, who are respectively playing for France and Germany, uh, Poirier uh, having the much better outing so far with him beating uh, Tice's Germany, uh, who also just lost to the Dominican Republic. So there is hopefully some benefits that they can pick up through their participation, particularly for Tice, because you know he's been looking much better, particularly with that poster he put on Parier when they faced off. He did take a big step back after the meniscus tear last season, so hopefully you know picking up some ways to play smarter as well as better will benefit him as well. He would be either of those two would be Celtics to get back to Middleton for him to play against. But really, it would be very good to see Middleton kind of take off in a way that doesn't require his Milwaukee Bucks system for success. Uh, I could also see players like Joe Harris, Derek White, and Donovan Mitchell in particular uh, pick up new tricks to take back to NBA context and expand their game as well. It really may have a dampening effect if... Team Shamrock and Team USA drop a game to a Serbia, a Spain, a France, etc. And it's a very real possibility, as we've seen today, because while Turkey is, as I said, better than most people seem to think, they are far from one of the better talents in this competition. That is my take on the Team USA bump that we may see among the Boston Celtics players who are currently participating for Team USA and other national teams around the FIBA World Cup competition. Camp is around the corner at the end of the month, and things are going to start heating up, so you can expect to hear more labs, more dives, more pods, and more of our writing in our respective sites that we participate in off of Celtics Lab. I want to thank you for listening. You can find the pod on most podcatcher apps. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars. If you don't like something or have a suggestion, please make sure to let us know with a comment on Twitter with the hashtag CLPOD. We kept it. Please use it. We're always trying to bring you the deepest dives into Celtics coverage.